We are back on the official SaaS to podcast, and we spent the last few weeks in the world of sales. And so this week, I wanted to turn slightly to the world of marketing also and discuss the coming together of these two worlds with a discussion on sales kickoff weeks. And there's no one better to join me for this discussion than Lathany Conant, CMO at Sixth Sense, the company that allows you to achieve predictable revenue growth by identifying accounts, looking for your solution, prioritize efforts, and then engage the right way. To date, the company's raised over $120 million in financing from the likes of Batch. Ventures, Insight, Venrock, Costa Noah, Bain Capital, and Salesforce Ventures, to name a few. As for Latney, before six then she was CMO and sales leader at Aperio, where she drove 5x more effective field marketing programs and an increase in inbound leads by 300%. If that wasn't enough, Latney's also on the advisory boards of both Mediafly and Atrium. But before we dive into the show today, let me state the obvious. Video consumption has skyrocketed over the last six months, and more than ever, developers need to be able to quickly build rocks solid video into their applications, and Mux is an API-first platform that makes building online video experiences easy. What Stripe does for payments, Mux does for video. Mux handles storage, encoding, and delivery, so your development team can focus on building product. Live streaming is just as easy, and Mux will scale with you as you grow, whether you're serving a few dozen streams or a few million. Designed by video experts and trusted by companies like SoulCycle, Robinhood, Visco, and Hopin, to name a few, your video will work perfectly on every device, every time. Sign up for a free account and get $20 credit at mux.com. And every great product needs great marketing, and you have to check out the book, No Forms, No Spam, No Cold Calls. It's a wake-up call for modern marketers and sellers. It's a guide to ditching traditional strategies that are no longer working and focusing on customer experience to drive revenue growth. This book is more than lofty theoretical ideas. It delivers proven B2B strategies, tactics, and plans that are ready to be adapted, customized, and tested by marketing and sales leaders. It provides a step-by-step guide to move your revenue teams away from an MQL-focused approach and align them around an ABM model that fundamentally puts prospects first. Check out more at sixcents.com forward slash Sasta. That's six, the number, sense.com forward slash Sasta. And last but by no means least, there is always competition. And Ahrefs makes competitive analysis easy. Their tools show you how your competitors are getting traffic from Google and why. You can see the pages and content that send them the most search traffic, find out the exact keywords they're ranking for and which backlinks are helping them most. From there, you can replicate or improve on their strategies. If you're not getting significant search traffic, Ahrefs tools also help to find topics worth creating pages or content on. You can easily see estimated search volumes and gauge traffic potential with their Keywords Explorer tool. If you are getting search traffic, use features like their Top Pages report to break down which of your pages are bringing in the most traffic, then figure out how you can replicate their success. Want to learn more? Check out their blog or YouTube channel for step-by-step step SEO tutorials. They have a seven-day trial for only $7. Head over to hrefs.com to sign up. That's ahrefs.com to sign up. But that's enough of me. So now I'm very excited to hand over to Latney Conan, CMO at Six Cents. Good. That's perfect. Okay. I think we're warmed up. Latney, it's so great to have you on the show today. As I said before, I've heard so many good things from Brian and the team at VanRock. So thank you so much for joining me today. Well, Harry, you picked my favorite topics. So. Well, I mean, was deliberate. I, I do want to start there with a little bit of context. So tell me, how did you make your way into the world of SaaS and come to be the rockstar CMO at Sixth Sense and an author that you are today? Well, it was a little bit accidental. I always talk about being a recovering software salesperson. So I was a first-line seller at Aperio. I started running a region. I was running half the country. And I was very opinionated about demand gen and marketing. 
which I'm sure was annoying to many people, but I was very opinionated about it. And so I started to build some of like classic demand gen functions like BDR team, so an outbound model and field model because we didn't have those at the time. We were mostly a channel-based play. And so I'm doing my thing just because I wanted to make sure my salespeople had enough pipeline. And then lo and behold, our CEO came to me and said, I know you fancy yourself as a sales gal, but can you throw your hat in the ring at marketing? And I mean, the rest is history, Harry. I never resist a challenge. So I took it and was the CMO at Aperio and then found my way to Sixth Sense. And that's an interesting story in itself because I just fell in love with the Sixth Sense technology. I had done an ABM pilot while I was at Aperio and you learn more from your mistakes than your successes. And it was so time consuming and we did everything right in terms of the content, the creative, the level of personalization, just everything. But it was so much work that the ROI, the math just didn't work. And so when I saw Sixth Sense and the capability to be able to make sure that all of your hard sales and marketing time and money and muscle go towards the right accounts, go towards accounts in market, and then could help me like orchestrate these campaigns, I was like, this is going to change the game. I mean, Sixth Sense has changed the game in many ways. I'm sorry, when you were speaking now, I was just thinking there's two burning questions. And I expected to go off schedule from our previous chats pretty quickly, but didn't expect it this early, but let's roll with it anyway. A question for you. I was having this debate with a portfolio company founder today. And he was saying, Harry, my marketing team is telling my AEs, hey, you can help us well on demand gen. It's not just our job. It's everyone's job. Don't just expect us to feed you all the time. Question for you, should AEs get involved in demand gen and filling pipe as well a little bit? Or do you think that kind of highly segmented, highly specialized is very important to know your lane? As a recovering software salesperson, I don't know what has happened. I feel like salespeople have, I don't want to say gotten soft, that's not nice, but you get paid the big bucks to own your business, to own your business model. And so I don't understand this notion of not taking a role in that. Now you can push marketing and you can partner with marketing to make sure that you're using the latest and greatest techniques and technology. And if I were a salesperson today, I would definitely be asking in the interview process, how is demand gen set up? Do you use intent data? Do you use predictive analytics? Knowing that I'm going to be five times more successful if you have those capabilities. But at the end of the day, Salespeople get to go to club. Salespeople get paid the big bucks because it's a hard job. And I think you're still expected to prospect. Yeah. No, and listen, I agree with you in terms of really owning that function. The second was, you mentioned there about kind of allocating resources to the accounts that deserve attention. And obviously all accounts deserve attention, but just kind of allocating resources effectively on an account basis. I have a lot of people that say, what's the right level for ABM, Harry? It doesn't make sense at 10K. Does it make sense at 50K? Or does it have to be 100K? How do you think about the amount that it has to be to justify ABM and that much higher touch. Here's the thing. If you have a true B2B sale, meaning multiple personas involved, longer sales cycle, I believe ABM is the most effective way to generate demand. And I think that unfortunately, ABM has become equated with spending a lot of time, money, and energy on one or two accounts and almost overspending on those. And that is not how I define ABM. I define ABM as using data, using analytics to make sure that you are doing the right things at the right time to accounts most likely to buy. And it sounds like, okay, what are you really talking about? So let me give you, let me just take the Aperio example. ABM, I'm going to pick a few accounts. I'm in certain industries where we've sold to before. We sold to this type of account. So let's do it with accounts that look like that. 
that and I'm going to talk to sales and we're going to come up with a list of accounts. And for this list of accounts, we're going to send champagne. We're going to have a landing page for them. We're going to have dedicated BDRs just for them. That to me is old school. And that's where you get underwater from an ROI perspective. So what I do is I run 100% ABM. And what that means is knowing who to sell to and knowing who not to sell to. So for example, let's apply that to an inbound model, Harry. So if I have an inbound model and I want to apply ABM, what that means is an account is going to come inbound and I'm automatically going to start to apply an account score. So I'm not just going to look at the one person who came inbound. I'm going to look at the buying team. I'm going to look at how they're engaging. I'm going to look at the amount they're engaging. And that's going to determine, does sales follow up? Does marketing continue to nurture like what we do with that? Because I don't want people wasting their time until an account is really ready. So that's applying ABM at an account like inbound level. And then when it comes to an outbound motion, they're not going to go and work accounts that aren't showing any sign of intent, meaning they're not doing research on keywords that matter. They're not maybe coming to my website. I'm going to make sure that I'm pointing that valuable resource at the best accounts most likely to buy. Totally get you in terms of that kind of much more targeted there. It makes sense. I do want to dive though into, as I said, on the schedule itself, because otherwise I could chat for days. In terms of your favorite week of the year, and I love this when you said this before, and as you said, your favorite week of the year is the week of sales kickoff. And you've said before, in terms of driving marketing and sales alignment, there's nothing like it. And so I do kind of want to start from the beginning, because if we think about kind of what it takes to make it successful, the first is preparation. And you said before, do not underestimate the preparation required. So I'd love to start on that. And what did you mean by this? And what have been some of your biggest learnings around what does it take from a preparation standpoint to be successful in sales kickoff? I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that they can waste their team's time, meaning they don't have to be prepared for internal meetings in general. I take a lot of umbrage to that. So just like for me, I would coach my team or an AE that it's for every hour that you're in a meeting, you should assume two hours of prep. And so you think about something like a field kickoff or a sales kickoff where you're literally bringing these super highly valuable resources together for a day, two days, a week, whatever it is. Why would you not do the preparation to make sure every second counts and you really thought through making sure it's just a phenomenal experience? And I think too often people think, oh, it's an internal meeting. So I don't have to have a tight agenda. I can let people run over. Not every session needs to be phenomenal. Whereas when I think about internal events, I tend to put the same amount of rigor on an internal event as I would on an external event because my team's time is valuable. Can I ask, when you have your sales kickoffs, how long before do you start prepping for it? And what does that process look like for you? So it's about six months before. And then obviously it gets more frequent and intense leading up to it. I think you also have to, Harry, be stage appropriate, right? So if you're a series A company, you're not going to hire a live band or something for your sales kickoff. And maybe your sales kickoff is only two days. Sales kickoff doesn't necessarily have to be expensive or quote unquote overdone. I just think you should think of it as more than just a meeting and really, really think through what am I trying to get across to the team this year? And so what I like to do typically is I like to actually make sure that the leadership team, the executive leadership team has done a strategy session. So logistics and stuff get locked like six months in advance because typically when we were traveling, right, you got to rent a place and da 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 and book things. But before we actually come up with the theme of sales kickoff, what I like to do is bring all of the executives together and figure out the theme for the year as a company. So what are we trying to do as 
as a company, what's our vision? I use a strategic planning tool called V2Mom. What are our key methods as a company? And then now how does that trickle down to what we need to do from a go-to-market perspective across sales, marketing, and customer success? Because that's a pretty big input into field kickoff and getting the team pumped to go and execute. Can I ask, because it's really interesting hearing you speak about kind of, especially the V2Mom process there and kind of strategizing around it. Because you said something else about kind of the prep stage and it's like the worst thing that you can do is come with a plan. And so are they not at odds then in terms of kind of preparation and not coming with a plan? And how do you think about that in particular? So let me unpack that. When I say don't come with a plan or a bunch of grandiose plans come with actual things, what I mean is I've seen it where marketing presents, well, we are going to help you with battle cards. Our plan is that we're going to launch better battle cards. Okay. I'm saying don't come with the plan to launch better battle cards. If that is a key thing, show up to sales kickoff and say, we've launched better battle cards. Check the portal. They're live right now. And let me explain to you how you're going to use these battle cards. That's a big difference. So what I want is I want all of my sales and marketing and customer success teams to leave kickoff with all of the resources that they need done to be successful. Not plans about things I might develop. Hey, we're going to be creating a lot of case studies this year. How about we have five done? They're right here, ready for you to use. Why don't you think people do that? Is it because they're waiting for confirmation from leadership and they're nervous about pursuing a strategy without confirmation before starting? So it's like, we're going to do a lot of battle cards, wait for the response and then pursue if it's well received. Do you think that's why? Because I agree with you in terms of that action orientation. Maybe it's just an urgency thing. So one of my best and worst qualities is impatience. And so I tend to have a lot of urgency and I have a saying, never waste a deadline. And so to me, field kickoff is the culmination of a lot of deadlines. And people know that. People know, no, we're not going to talk about the new website, the what new website needs to be done or at least part one done, right? So it's a forcing function to deliver because if you think about it, sales automatically has a forcing function every quarter with and with quotas. Marketing and sales ops and a lot of the supporting functions don't have the same implicit deadlines. And so to me, I need to use things like sales kickoff, or it's funny, we have a mini sales kickoff in a week to make sure that things can just linger, Harry, and it's annoying. So I don't like that. I totally get you, especially with the lingering elements. That's the most annoying thing. And we share the impatience. So it's a good trait to have. I, I continuously tell myself, although I think others around me would disagree. I do want to say, because once we have that kind of content and we've got the prep in place, you obviously have to go through some form of review process. What do you think the review process should look like? And when should it be done? And how does that take shape? It has to take place with the head of sales, honestly. I will help, but I have found people love to like wait to the last minute to get their shit together. So you have to have an executive, maybe even the CEO who's checking and the content is due to them, not the marketing team. Because otherwise people will rock in and they will not have practiced. They'll run over, their slides will look like shit. And we just can't have that, Harry. That's not the kind of shop we're running. So... You know, we try to have content review sessions scheduled, call it two weeks before. And I also always have a designer right up through sales kickoff because you're going to have stragglers and their stuff's going to look like crap. And they're going to be presenting on Tuesday and Monday. There's going to be have to be some designer making sure it doesn't look terrible. Yeah. No, listen, I love the directness, to be honest, Latney. It's uh, not something that I always get doing the show, honestly. So it's like truly refreshing for me as an interviewer. Because you mentioned like them presenting on Tuesday and the designers doing last minute on 
Monday. And bluntly, when you're in these presentations and events, sometimes, I mean, we both know, God, they can drag on. And keeping it fresh and lively, it's hard. You said before, in terms of like really keeping that enthusiasm energy, you have to rotate presenters, not people. Loved it. Thought it was a great book title, actually. What did you mean by this? And what have been some learnings on how to keep it really fresh and high tempo when sometimes it can be stale four or five hours in? Yeah, so you're actually unpacking two questions. So let's take the rotating presenters, not people. That is actually a solve for a different challenge. And the difference challenge is if you do breakouts, people will all of a sudden linger and they won't come back maybe, or they'll take a phone call or this or that. And there's too much flex for people to get lost behind because you're trying to move. Like if you think about it, if I've got 10 breakout rooms of 20 people, that's a lot of cats to herd. So typically what I like to do is say, no, you are a breakout track. The people stay. The presenters, if I have 10 breakouts, it's only 10 people that I have to herd each transition. Does that make sense? Totally does. It's very different. (laughs) So that's what I mean by that. And again, I made a big investment to make sure that we prepped and everything was amazing. Now you owe me being present here and not slooking off to do other things. Yeah, I think that's Um, totally fair. I think it's the mutual respect. On the content itself, so now we've covered that, what have been some learnings on keeping it really exciting? I mean, I think we talked about like dropping things so that they're like the first to see it. So like dropping a product release that no one else has seen. That's cool. I want to be part of that. There's fun things you can do. I'm all about stingers. So the theme is super important and you want to reinforce the theme throughout the program. And so a stinger is just a hilarious play on the theme. Like you take a movie clip or something like that and it just keeps people laughing and energized. And so you kind of want to infuse stingers and things like that. Have people dress up. Like we had our head of customer success. Our theme was around the sixth sensei, which is if you know everything, you can do anything. And so we created a character of a sixth sensei who knows and does everything. And so we dressed our head of customer success up like a sixth sensei. No one expected him to come in. You know, he came into the room all dressed up. We played music. Like cheesy actually works. So keep it cheesy. That's all right. Fun. Any type of guessing games or contests throughout. People love to get prizes, even if it's something very minimal. They'll do crazy things just for minimal things. Can I dive in and ask? You mentioned the word theme there. And I'm interested. What makes a good theme and what makes a bad theme? Yeah. So to be honest, I mean, I probably go a little too crazy on picking the theme because what I found is what you pick matters less than how invested you get in it. Meaning there's no real bad theme. The key is that what you pick, you really, really reinforce to make it fun and interesting. So what do I mean? We had a theme that was rise above the clouds. The reason we picked that is we wanted people to not just sell software. We wanted them to lead with strategy and take a more strategic approach and sell bigger deals. And so we had this whole theme. And so then we anchored that in airplanes. So when they got there, they got a boarding pass. So the agenda looked like a boarding pass. We had presenters pretending to be flight attendants. We had a whole fasten your seatbelt spoof stinger. Each breakout, like one team was called the Blue Angels. One team was, you know, you get my point. It's like you have team names that match the themes. You have content that match the themes. And as you're doing the content review, you challenge people to infuse the theme. So instead of doing a deal planning session, can we call it a flight plan session, for example? No, I love that. I think it's super cool to have the ongoing theme, especially when it's like the boarding passes and the the seatbelts and everything. We even brought a drink cart. We had an airline drink cart made and brought that into breakout. So, you know, just like have fun with it. I hope someone got to keep all of this memorabilia. Can I also, in terms of like the content itself, so the content progresses and then the thing that I find kind of interesting is like as we get to an end, sometimes there can be a bit of like an anti-climax. And you said before, hold a final general session. What does this general session look like? And what do you want to achieve out of it, most importantly? 
community, I guess. So basically from an agenda perspective, what you want is you want a really high energy kickoff with everybody together, right? So it's like the high energy, everyone's together, then go into breakouts, however you're doing those. And then what I mean is I've had agendas that end on a breakout. So people just kind of peter off. And so even if it's a 20 or 30 minute closing session, you want to get people back together, recast the day. People love collages of themselves doing stuff, like just reinforce everything they've learned and kind of go through highlights of the week or the couple days. Yeah, no, I get you bringing them all back together. Can I ask, should at some point quota and plans for quota be attached to these sessions? Or does that kind of remove the fun from the room, so to speak? Oh my God. Well, our worst one was the last session was that rolling out the comp plan, which was just a terrible idea. And plus then they're all together and everyone's moaning and not good. And this is kind of the never wasted deadline. I think comp plans and territories need to be rolled out before sales. That process needs to be done. Questions answered. Everyone understands their comp plan. So that whole thing is behind you coming into kickoff. Yeah, no, listen, I totally agree. I think it's a daunting way to end it. Can I ask it post the ending? It's the start, not the end really in many respects. And when you think about like post-mortems and the right way to follow up, what does good follow-up look like post a sales kickoff week? And how do you like to kick that really into action? Yeah, so we have a solution called Mediafly that has like a sales readiness component. And so we try to have as much as the content as we can video-based or somehow transitioned into our learning platform, right? Because unfortunately, not everyone will start at kickoff and so many great assets like come out of it. And then the more the theme can sort of live on. So live on in your forecast calls or live on in future QBRs and things like that. It just sort of keeps the energy up and going. Totally. I was thinking it would be strange for me to come to work as a pilot for the next year, but now I know it's absolutely fine. (laughs) If you're hiring at Sixth Sense, please let me know. But uh, I do want to dive into my favorite though, Lammy, which is a quick fire round. So I say a short statement and then you give me your immediate thoughts. Are you ready to rock and roll? Oh God, yes. It'll be fine. Trust me, you can always trust a Brit. So tell me, what is the biggest challenge of your role with Sixth Sense? Impatience. In terms of expectations of the people around you? Yeah. I mean, so you have to understand when I came to Sixth Sense, and it's way different now because I'm two years in, but I would say when I got to Sixth Sense, I had been at a company that was global, big scale, large team. I mean, we ran 500 field events a year all around the world. And so then when I got to Sixth Sense, it was me and one other person to start. So I had to temper my own enthusiasm and break down what we needed to do and kind of be okay that Rome wasn't built in a day. So I think that's something I'm always working on. Sometimes you have to go slow to go fast, I've been told. It's not easy. I agree. Tell me, who should be invited to the sales kickoff week? That's a tough one. This is horror. I have no answers here. I struggle with this. I hate having people not able to come. I mean, one thing now, Harry, is now that we're virtual, I'm going to have to think about how this formula applies in a virtual world, a lot more people can perhaps come, which will be nice because I think that's the hardest part of planning an amazing sales kickoff is I, I would love to have everybody come. Would you not have everyone there if it's virtual? I mean, there's no cost increase in terms of adding an extra person. There actually is. If you do a good virtual event, you're sending swag packs and Got you. Yeah, there's always an element. Like I, we just did a virtual event and we had a, a live performer, but we sent everyone the cocktail kit in advance and then we showed them how to make the cocktail. So, but but you're right. With virtual, I would say there's no reason why we wouldn't want to expand the guest list for sure. Yeah, no, totally. Tell me, what's the biggest surprise for you internally since COVID began? It could be 
in terms of pipeline movement. It could be in terms of team morale. But what's been the biggest surprise internally since COVID began? We haven't missed a lot of beats. And I'm surprised and proud of that. I think what's interesting is Aperio, the team was pretty much 100% remote. So once you get to kind of a big global company, no one's ever going to be in the same office, right? People are in Japan, they're in, in EMEA, blah, 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 blah. And I haven't gone into an office in 17 years. So sort of had this like remote thing already. And so it's been interesting to see the team just kind of plow through. I think that the sad part about it is we're still getting a ton of work done, but it's not as fun. So that's what I have to work on is the fun factor. Now, this is an incredibly unfair one of me to ask, but what moment in your life has maybe changed the way you think the most? I don't know if it's a moment, but certainly a career stop. And I mentioned Aperio a few times and our CEO was so into culture. He was so, so, so proactive about culture and creating amazing culture. And for him, that was like always a high, high top priority. And I just had never worked at a company like that. And that taught me so much about really what it takes to win, what it takes to retain people, how important culture is to a brand and how important it is to customer experience. And our thing at Aperio was you can't deliver a great customer experience unless you really invested in a great workforce experience. The rest is history. I, I believe that that shapes everything I do. Yeah. No, listen, I totally agree with you. And it's a supremely valuable lesson to learn. The final one though, and it's a tough one, is what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you joined Sixth Sense? Honestly, I didn't know shit when I joined Sixth Sense. And maybe that was good. Sometimes the less you know, the more willing you are to learn and try. And so I would say, I don't think there's anything I wished that I'd known. I, I'm glad that I sort of went in with eyes wide open about everything I didn't know because I didn't assume I knew anything and just got to learning. Lani, as I said at the, in the middle, uh, I think it was, not many people are as open and honest as you. The transparency is just awesome. And honestly, I so appreciate you taking the time. So thank you so much for joining me today. Sure. Thanks, Harry. Fun to be on your show. Absolutely loved having that knee on the show there and such exciting times ahead for her and for Sixth Sense. As I said, rare to have such a transparent and direct conversation and I absolutely loved it. And if you'd like to see more from us behind the scenes, you can on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. However, before we leave you today, let me state the obvious. Video consumption has skyrocketed over the last six months and more than ever, developers need to be able to quickly build rock-solid video into their applications. And Mux is an API-first platform that makes building online video experiences easy. What Stripe does for payments, Mux does for video. Mux handles storage, encoding, and delivery, so your development team can focus on building product. Live streaming is just as easy, and Mux will scale with you as you grow, whether you're serving a few dozen streams or a few million. Designed by video experts and trusted by companies like SoulCycle, Robinhood, Visco, and Hopin, to name a few, your video will work perfectly on every device every time. Sign up for a free account and get $20 credit at mux.com. And every great product needs great marketing, and you have to check out the book no forms no spam no cold calls it's a wake-up call for modern marketers and sellers it's a guide to ditching traditional strategies that are no longer working and focusing on customer experience to drive revenue growth this book is more than lofty theoretical ideas it delivers proven b2b strategies tactics and plans that are ready to be adapted customized and tested by marketing and sales leaders it provides a step-by-step guide to move your revenue teams away from an mql focused approach and align them around an abm model 
that fundamentally puts prospects first. Check out more at sixcents.com forward slash Sasta. That's six, the number, cents.com forward slash Sasta. And last but by no means least, there is always competition. And Ahrefs makes competitive analysis easy. Their tools show you how your competitors are getting traffic from Google and why. You can see the pages and content that send them the most search traffic, find out the exact keywords they're ranking for, and which backlinks are helping them most. From there, you can replicate or improve on their strategies. If you're not getting significant search traffic, Ahrefs tools also help to find topics worth creating pages or content on. You can easily see estimated search volumes and gauge traffic potential with their Keywords Explorer tool. If you are getting search traffic, use features like their top pages report to break down which of your pages are bringing in the most traffic, then figure out how you can replicate their success. Want to learn more? Check out their blog or YouTube channel for step-by-step SEO tutorials. They have a seven-day trial for only $7. Head over to hrefs.com to sign up. That's ahrefs.com to sign up. As always, I so appreciate all your support and I cannot wait to bring an incredible episode next week with the CEO at HashiCorp.